Um, yeah, it's lovely to feel like uh, we're amongst family. And that's, uh, we've only been in the relational mission network, I don't know, for three and a half years, four years. And it's so good to have brothers and sisters to do life with and to feel part of a network of churches. So thank you for your prayers. Keep them coming and we'll keep praying for you. We want to see the church here in Herne Bay thrive and uh, glorify God in Herne Bay and that uh, you pack this hall out and then move on to a bigger one or plant more churches across the district. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Let's do it. And let's do it together. So thank you so much for, for the prayers. Okay, Exodus chapter 32 is where we're in today. And I'll be preaching for about half an hour. Is that about right? Half an hour. So what's that? Have a look at the clock. 10-2, Craig. 10-2, no more. Okay, and this is, the whole chapter is just kind of a rocket fuel. There's so much in there to unpack that really I'm just going to take the first seven verses to look at this kind of terrible piece in God's redemptive history, this kind of terrible story where the people of God reject God and set up a false idol, a golden calf. What's that got to do with us today? Okay, so if you know the story, if you've watched uh, The Prince of Egypt or any of those uh, films about the Exodus, you know it gets to this point where this golden calf is made and there's a big face palm at that point. Why did they do it? Why on earth did they worship an idol rather than the living God. And yet, we all kind of do it. We've all got our little golden calves. We all sell our freedom that's been bought for us through Jesus to lesser gods, to little idols that we think will serve us and make us feel better or lead us forward or comfort us when we're down. But they don't. They can't. We'll look at that. So let's look at Exodus 32. Let me just try and really briefly summarize where we've got to this point. So you remember God's people were in slavery to the Egyptian empire. It was a mess. Okay, they were compl- they would, they'd work and they'd die. That was their whole life. Completely in slavery. No freedom, no joy, no hope, nothing. And they cry out to God for salvation. And God comes in and says, I am God and they are mine. And I, I, you, watch this. Watch how big I am, says God. Watch how wonderful I am. Watch how completely capable I am of saving and leading this people. And there is this breathtaking account for about 31 chapters about the glory of God. And we've been singing about it today. If only our eyes would be opened up to see just how great and powerful and wonderful and all-sufficient God is. And God does that through the Exodus story as a little bit of of kind of a warm-up for what he would eventually do in Christ at the cross. It's all kind of a picture of what was to come. So you remember what God has done for his people. He is Lord God, better than any of the idols in Egypt. Those ten plagues, defeating one by one the kind of mini-gods in Egypt. He's better, he's bigger, he's more powerful. And then the sea, the Red Sea, death. Okay, they hated the sea, they were desert dwellers. The sea represented death. And what does he do to death? He parts it. They walk straight through death. Does that remind you of anyone? Usually, sorry, if I keep going like that, it's because we've got a cross here at CCR. And so I'm always like, there it is. That's the cross. That is what this represented. They walk through it and then thunder and lightning on this mountain. The presence of God is right there. This is breathtakingly awesome. 
And do you remember they're being led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire? Can you imagine being there at that time? Witnessing the glory of God unfolding before you. And God has shown himself not just to be Lord God, powerful God, also a saviour, a father, a, a husband to a bride. I love these people. They are mine. I want to I draw them together as mine. I care for them. I want to meet every need that they've got. I love these guys. I love them so much. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to kill the lamb that they might have life. Does that remind you of anyone? I know there's not a cross there, but I'm going to keep doing it. The, the lamb is going to die in order that these guys might have life and freedom. It's so good. God is breathtakingly good. He provides for them bread from heaven. What? That is insane. That is wonderful. We're hungry. Well, here's some bread. We're thirsty. Well, knock your staff against a rock and water will come out. What? There is life and salvation in God. We've been singing about it. Good set, by the way, Ivan. Well done. We keep worshipping him because he is our Lord and God and mighty and powerful. But he's what we need, isn't he? Our lives are so full of, the world is so hopeless and there's so much out there that causes us to despair and I can't be bothered anymore. God is your hope. God is your peace. God is your salvation. Worship him because you need to. To get that? The reason that God is so jealous for your worship isn't for his benefit. He's perfectly happy up there in the Trinity, enjoying heaven and everything. He doesn't need you to worship. You do. He's jealous for you to worship him because he knows that's what you need. And then God says to this people that he's shown to be God to, and that he's rescued and he loves, he says, and now I want a covenant with you. I want to come and dwell with you. I want to marry you. And make promises to you to last for an eternity. This is a breathtakingly good God. And we should sit in awe that this is the same God today. That through Jesus invites us into that kind of relationship with us. And he says, look, I'll make you a deal. Okay? I'll make this covenant. Okay? And here's the first two. Okay? The introduction to this covenant, this relationship we've got with God. Here are the Ten Commandments. Here's the first two. If this is going to work out for you, have no other gods. Right. No other gods. Well, why would we? Because you've just shown up. Our gods in Egypt, they didn't serve us very well. We were in slavery there. You know, they couldn't part the Red Sea or, you know, bring the plague of locusts and all that kind of stuff. You're, the, you're God, God. Yeah, of course. No other gods before you. And we won't make, make no other idols. Okay, that's not going to work out for you very well. If you try and replace God with something that's not God, it's not going to work. It doesn't fit. Nothing can lead you and love you the way that God does, because it's not God. Have no, no idols. And all the people say, yeah, we're up for that. Why wouldn't we? This is great. Your presence is up there on the mountain. This is awesome. I can see you. We've just come through the Red Sea, and uh, you've provided for us with manna, and uh, yes, we're in. Yeah, I agree to your proposal, and I want to marry you, God. Isn't this, isn't this a wonderful part of the story? Aren't you excited about the hope that is in the people who have just agreed to this covenant with God. Even as we speak, okay, just as we hit chapter 32, Moses is up on the mountain drawing up plans with God for how God is going to come and dwell amongst them in the tabernacle. What? This is just like Eden. 
Do you remember Eden when God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with man and woman and then it was broken, but now it's back? God's going to be amongst his people. He's going to dwell with them. Isn't that great? Oh dear. Exodus 32. Let's, um, let's kind of burst that bubble a bit and see the reality of the human heart. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, he was up there about 40 days and they start growing restless, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. What? Are you crazy? You've, you've just literally signed the covenant with God to say that you're not going to have any other gods and you're not going to make idols. Are you crazy? This is blatant. Straight in the face of God. He's right up there on the mountain. And they defy God. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Moses has just led them through the sea. Moses is provided for them. And it's this Moses. We don't know what's come of him. It's only been, you know, it hasn't been long before they've been there eating the stuff and walking through the dry land through the sea. Verse 2. So Aaron, and remember who he is, Moses' own brother. They had quite a close relationship. They've been doing stuff together. So Aaron said to them, Take off rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. Remember that. He was involved in this. He fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And we say, You idiots. What on earth would you do that? You've just seen God display his godness and his salvation to you. And then you've replaced him with a golden cow. You are bonkers, people. Let me try and give you a bit of a, a metaphor, a picture of just how insane this is. So, um, which one? Do you want the fish? Do you want the child? Or do you want the wife? <laughs> okay, so I've got one for each. Okay, so let's, let me just start with the fish. I'm, I'm conscious of time here. And I want to do some heart work with each of you because we are always making little idols. And I want to help you see some of those in your own life that you might smash them and replace them with something that's better. So, the fish. Let me start there. The, the fish is uh, arrogant and proud, and it says, the ocean that I'm living in is cramping my style. Okay? This, this ocean is not allowing me the freedom that I need anymore. And the little fish decides, I'm jumping out of the ocean. I want my own freedom. I want to be my own boss. And what happens to the fish that jumps out of the ocean? It dies. It is miserable. It is kind of in pain. It's pathetic. It cannot exist. And it cries out for rescue. And the ocean, go with me on this, the ocean loves the fish and despite its rebellion, floods the fish, the little dying fish with its grace and its provision and it allows the fish back into the ocean. Isn't that wonderful? Life and freedom and fullness of life is there for the little fishy now. 
but no. No sooner as the fish got into the ocean again, it decides to jump out again. Little fish, are you, are you mad? Don't do that. That's exactly what the people of Israel have just done. They were out of the ocean in Egypt. They've been brought into relationship with God, provided for. God's shown to be God. He's shown to be Lord. He's shown to be Savior. And that within moments, they're jumping out of the water again. The wife one, okay? Let me just say this, because I think this is true as well. And I think this will give you some of the shock of what Israel have just done to God. So imagine that a woman is caught up in prostitution and she's defiled and dirty and she's uh, rebellious and she's, uh, she's reaping the, kind of the reward of that kind of lifestyle. She's choosing it for herself. She's miserable, she's hungry, she's depressed, she's angry, she's hopeless and she cries out for help. Someone rescue me. Someone rescue me from this mud and this mire and a good man, the king, no doubt sees this woman in all of her filth and says, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to woo you. He pursues her and he cleans her up and he gives her a new set of clothes and he invites her into his home where she has everything that she could possibly need. He lavishes her with gifts and grace and a palatial room and a, I don't know, a hot tub and a feast of food like she's never seen. And then he says to her, and I want to marry you. I want a covenant with you. I want you to be my bride forevermore. And they get married. Isn't that beautiful? And then on their wedding night, she goes off and commits adultery. What? Why would she do that? Why did Israel do it? Why do we do it? God has shown to be God, He's shown to be Lord. Look at Jesus. He is God. Jesus has shown to be your all-sufficient saviour and healer. He is so kind and gracious and will provide for you everything that you need. And yet, within moments of singing our songs on a Sunday morning, you are my all in all. You are my everything. I worship you. We then replace God with other things it's sinful and it's so stupid we are such fools when we do it what about you what are your golden calves what are your little idols that you set up that replace God so an idol is a way of understanding idolatry it features massively in the Old Testament it doesn't seem to be so much in the New Testament but it is what is an idol? Anything or anyone that is more important to you than God. Anything or anyone that is more important to you than God. It's anything that absorbs your heart and energy and passion and imagination. Anything that captivates you more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. What gives your life meaning? Is it God? Or is it something else? What gives your life value and significance? Are you secure? Why? What are you placing your security in? 
Is it God and God alone? Because if it's not, you're creating little gold idols. You've got your own little golden calves that need to be dealt with. And that's what we want to do today in 10 minutes. Crikey. <laughs> there's, a, there's a PowerPoint, I think, somewhere, if someone's got it. Just four big areas that I'll try and get through in five minutes. Power. Okay, think about your desire for significance and power and recognition. Does that drive you? Are you not happy? Is your biggest fear the, the thought that you're going to get found out and humiliated? Do you spend a lot of your time trying to promote yourself? That when you walk into a party, the first thing that you want to know is that, hi, I'm Craig Prentice, I'm a leader of a church, and also I went to university, and then I got a diploma. Yeah, and I've got three kids, and they've all got to grammar school. Hi, how are you doing? I'm Craig. Is your identity wrapped up on the fact that you are this or that, or you drive that car, or you live in that part of the world, or you've earned that sort of money, or this is what I used to do? Are you driven by power? Repent and believe the gospel. The good news is that we can be humble and we can be a servant and we can give our lives for the good of others, not in self-promotion, but in the promotion of others, in the church especially. I'm the least important person in this room. It's not about me, it's about you guys, which is what we are praying out there beforehand. You can do that because God is the one who's got the power and he's got you. You don't need to grab power for yourself because he's got you and he's got all the power. Be at peace. Relax. What about control? You're a control freak. Do you not let God be God? Lord God in control, do you, it drives everybody mad. If you're this person, if you know this is your heart, it's not just yourself that you're sinning against, it's everybody else that has to live with you. When things don't, don't go your way, when they don't go along with your plan, it's not just upsetting for you, it freaks you out. You are undone. You are a misery to live with. A lack of organization causes you an unhealthy amount of fear and anger and exasperation. What about this? Was this you? Is this you? When your child is set a piece of homework at school and you want to let them do it, you want to let them stick the kind of cotton wool balls onto the rocket. But you can't. <laughs> you have to get involved. <laughs> you know, it's going to be the best rocket ever. And move away, little Johnny. I'm doing this. Because they're going to get the best mark ever. Take that with a bit of a, you know, tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but are you, are you a control freak? Are you freaking out and freaking everybody else out? Because you can't let God be God in your life. Repent and believe the gospel. You are not in control. I was talking about this with someone the other day. He said to me, did you know that one in every two people get cancer? I'm like, crikey, that's right. And I said to him, did you know that one out of every one people die? And it's not to take away the suffering of cancer. It's horrible and we should do everything that we can to, to deal with it and walk with those who are suffering. But all of us cannot control the fact that one day we will die. I mean, deal with that now, before you're ill and you're on your deathbed. You are out of control. And yet there is one who is in control. Trust him. Trust him. Let go. 
Let go of that sense that you, you have mastery over even your own life. And give it to God. You will find so much joy in letting go. And you'll be such a blessing to others as well. What about comfort? So God is God. He's Lord. He's in power. He's in control. But he's also our saviour. He is our source of hope and joy and peace. Where do you run to, though, when you need some comfort? Is Jesus your first port of call when you are freaking out and when you are upset? Are you someone who is driven and motivated by securing a life for yourself that is easy? Are you always taking the path of least resistance because that's where your happiness will be found? Do you find your comfort not in God? Do you find it in food or booze or drugs or pornography or shopping or film? Or do you just like to stay in bed? Do you hide away in Facebook? Where, where do you rush to when life goes messy? How's it working out? How are all those little idols serving you? Do they? No, they don't. They cannot be God. Smash that idol. I mean, a lot of those things are good things, but they're not God. They're good things, but they're not ultimate things. They can't give you, they can't serve you. There's that great little caption, isn't there, about the, the mobile phone that was meant to make our life easier. And it was like, oh, it's gonna make, I'm going to be able to communicate with people better. I'm going to be able to be more in touch with the world. But instead of it serving us, we end up serving it. Answer my email. Pick me up. Refresh me. Recharge me. And you end up serving it. If it's not the mobile phone, it's something else. Something else. Maybe you self-medicate. Maybe... You say to yourself regularly, I, I can't get through today without, what is it? Chocolate, caffeine, someone. If that person wasn't in my life, my spouse, my kids, then I would be undone. I wouldn't be able to exist. I'd despair. God wants you to save you from that. And save that person from being God in your life. Can you understand that they can't be God to you? We cripple our kids if we think that our kids are going to define us and complete us. We cripple our marriages when we think that our spouse is going to be our all in all. They're sinners too. They will let you down. They cannot complete you, as Jerry Maguire said that she would. It's Hollywood nonsense. Only Christ can. Let Jesus be your comfort. He's better at it than all that other stuff. He loves to serve you. He, he loves it. It's God's joy to give you the kingdom. God loves to be glorified in your life and in this church because he knows that's what you need. All that other stuff is just temporary. God is ultimate. Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. Thank you. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to enjoy life. He isn't trying to spoil your fun by demanding that you worship him and worship him alone. He wants you to enjoy life in all its fullness. But it only happens when God is glorified. He is the biggest and most weighty, glorious, heavyweight in your heart. 
And what about approval? Is this you? Are you someone who cannot uh, exist or is undone when people, not God, but people give you approval? If on Facebook you don't get 100 likes for that really funny post that you put up, it was great. Everyone would like me when I put this up and you don't get all the likes that you thought you'd get. Or someone you thought was a mate unfriends you. It doesn't just upset you. I'm dead. And you spend three days in bed depressed. If someone, if you text someone or you call someone and they don't reply to your text straight away or return your call, they definitely hate me. They definitely do. If you're spouse compliments you a hundred times on how beautiful you are and then suggests at one point that you might need to work on your muffin roll. (laughs) It doesn't just upset you. You deserve a slap for that. That's incredibly insensitive. (laughs) But it completely undoes you. Are you someone that envies others? My life will only be happy if I'm like that person, if I have that person's life, if I have what they've got, if I've got the spouse that they've got and the car they drive and the house they live in, that's when happiness will be. It's out there somewhere. You're not content in the here and now with what God's provided for you. You can't stop and smell the roses because you're too busy looking into the future, which is where happiness is. Are you a people pleaser? Crikey, this has been me so much of my life. If I can make them laugh, they'll like me. Sorry about that. It's silly. In, here's the good news. In Christ, God approves of us. He says, I love you. I want you. I, I love spending time with you. You are my child. And in Christ, you are covered by his righteousness. And I've only got good things for you. Can you imagine if my children, I've got three kids, and they woke up every day starting from the position of assuming that I hated them, and that they had to earn my favor. Stop doing it. That you need to perform well enough in order to gain God's approval, then he might like you, and then he might bless you. Can you imagine how abusive that would be to my children? And yet they wake up in my house, and my first thought is, I love being their dad most of the time. Depends on what time they woke up. I love being their dad. I'm so pleased that I get to spend another day with them. When you wake up in the morning, enjoy God's grace. Come to him in prayer, not because you have to, because you get to. Ask and seek and knock. Why? Because he loves to give good gifts to his kids. And trust him through difficult times. Repent and believe the good news. I haven't got time for this. I need to move on. But here's the deal. What we must do is... Unlike Aaron, if you read Exodus 32, you see Aaron's response to being found out that he's created this idol. He makes excuses. He blames everybody else. He recog- God's called him out. Here's your idol. And hopefully, in looking at those four areas, you can see where you've raised up people or things, often good things, that aren't God. They're not Lord. They're not God. They haven't, they haven't got the strength to be in control or power. Or you're looking to those things to save you and to heal you and to make your life better what we're supposed to do is if you just click on one more and I'll end with this God's Holy Spirit for your good 
For his glory, yes, but for your good, wants to convict you of our little idols, the little things that we look to to lead us and to love us, to save us and to heal us. Feel that conviction. Feel God the Holy Spirit pointing those things out as being useless to do what you're asking them to do. And then confess. And saying, forgive me, God, is better than saying, I'm sorry. I've been such a fool. I, I, I can't, why have I done it again? Why have I raised up this person or this thing or myself to be in control of my own life? Uh, forgive me, God. And contrition, that means it's not just what you say and what you think, but it's what you feel. God, why would, I, why, why would I replace you with anything? You're God. Um, let it, don't let it humiliate you, but let it humble you. They're such fools. But that's not the end of the process. <laughs> Thank God. He doesn't, he doesn't want miserable kids. <laughs> he wants us to be full of joy. You know, he wants us to be a light to the world that says God is the best thing ever. And he keeps loving us even when we stop loving him. This is the best. He wants us to change. And that might mean that you need to do something today, this afternoon, to stop doing that thing that you've been doing. Make a promise with God to do something. If you're, you know, Steph Liston on lead yesterday said, you need to remind sin regularly that it's not your master. And you can catch it off guard. You can delete Facebook from your phone. Or you can call that person up and forgive them. Or you can, oh, I don't know, whatever God was talking to you about. You can do that right now in your heart and you can do it physically later when you leave this place. Remind sin that it's not your master, God is. Rush to him. Rush to, rush to God. And then the process ends with, I thought I'd put another C up because it flows, with cheer, with rejoicing. This is the church. This is what we're to do. We are to make much of Jesus. He is such a good God. He is such a kind and all-sufficient Savior. And in your heart, every day, get to the point of rejoicing. Enjoy the grace of God. Enjoy his forgiveness. Enjoy his covenant promises to you. The, smash your idols. But if tomorrow he points out another idol, smash that all over again. You see what I'm saying? And if you raise up the same idol again, smash it all over again because he is constant in his grace for you. It's going to keep coming. It's like the waves of the ocean. If you think you've missed one, you haven't. There's another one coming. Grace always flows downhill. So when you're feeling defeated and rubbish and humiliated and you know that you've said, you've made these promises to God, to serve him and love him and give to him and give your life fully to him, but then you've gone off, off the rails. Admit it, don't pretend, and then let God's grace flow downhill into your heart. This is the gospel. It's so good. It's so good. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll worship. Yeah, we've got some singing. Elevate Jesus, okay, in your heart and in this church as the Lord in all power and all control and as your saviour, he is your source of comfort. He is your source of delight. Let me pray.